Hello everyone, 7 Investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the 7 Investing Podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers, who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other 7 Investing fans in our exclusive Subscribers Forum, where we discuss the latest market moves in real time, go to 7investing.com slash subscribe to subscribe to 7investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the 7investing podcast. If you can't tell, we're picking up again with our buddy Krishna, and I'm here with Christoph. We're all wearing the same t-shirts. We're actually recording still. This episode goes out on the 30th of May. You know, Krishna, I didn't say in part one, but uh, just three days after this episode goes live, I'll be arriving in Hyderabad on my way to Sri Lanka. So I'm going to spend a couple of days in the city. I think you're in Mumbai, though. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, I'm, I'm in Mumbai. I'm sorry, we're not going to get a chance to catch up. Um, yeah. Mumbai is a, a fascinating city, and I know you told us quite a bit about um, kind of what's happening in India generally and our first conversation we talked about demographics and the retail investor mindset was we pick up part two of the conversation and I if you haven't listened to part one like I highly encourage you to go and check it out but in this second half of the conversation we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty we're going to talk about some of the challenges faced by uh, retail investors in India what's happening with the future of investing in India you know what's the trajectory of the country um, and we're also going to get into a couple of interesting sectors and segments that Krishna thinks are particularly interesting perhaps for overseas investors um, and maybe maybe also we can close out with any practical advice you might have for listeners who are interested in building a bit of an Indian exposure in their investment portfolios um, but why don't we kick off with that first topic, though, challenges faced by retail investors in India. Um, where, will, where should we start with that? So, like I said in the previous episode, we have a lot of new investors coming to the market. And, uh, you know, that means they could get their information from all kinds of different sources. And I think that's where a lot of the challenge would lie uh, in being able to find the right kind of resources uh, as an investor. Uh, of course, the Indian stock exchanges put out detailed filings. You get quarterly reports, presentations, con calls, uh, annual reports. So you, you do have, um, you know, all of that. But it's important that the retail investor knows to look for these things. And that largely depends on, you know, how they're being introduced to the market. Uh, the government on their part is doing a lot in terms of uh, educating retail investors as far as mutual funds go. Uh, so there are a lot of investor awareness, mutual fund advertisements put out by the government, which encourages them to do SIPs, which is nothing um, other than dollar cost averaging. So an SIP is like a fixed investment that goes into a mutual fund product every month. They're really, really popular in India. And a lot of people... Um, take out a small portion of their salary and put it into mutual funds. Mutual funds are well regulated. That part of it is, is good. I would say that you're far more supported as an Indian retail investor as opposed to the equivalent in the US because uh, the sheer scale of uh, the number of investors allows platforms to charge either nothing or very low fees uh, to be able to provide products. Um, for example, you know, we have a tool here that's really popular called screener.in. Uh, it's a website, screener.in. And you can just like type any company. You get 10 years worth of financials. You get a 200-day moving average, 50-day moving average. You get a list of prominent shareholders. Um, you get cash flow statements. You get a summary of the business operations. Um, and now it's even integrated with ChatGPT, and you can summarize con calls with one click. And the vast majority of these functions are free to use um, for anyone interested in any company. They can just type the name and do it. Um, it's only a handful of features that are behind a paywall. I would say the quality of YouTube content as far as 
educating investors goes uh, in India is uh, quite high. You also have a lot of crap, but like, I guess that's everywhere. Uh, but you do have good quality material off of YouTube. Um, you have career investors coming on YouTube um, and you can, you know, hear them talk on a regular basis. Your fund managers come on again, they talk on a regular basis. So if you know uh, your way around things, you can do a lot of the stuff. Just give you an example, the research reports from brokers um, in, in India, you can access them by like just giving your email address and a few details, which in the US is a lot harder to do because, uh, you know, they don't just give you their brokerage reports for, for free. But you do get that here. Um, uh, you know, the price targets can be as off as they are in the US. Uh, but <laughs> you'll at least get a good sense of the business, you know. Um, so I, I would say it's it's easier in ways and it's harder in ways. Harder, more for beginners. If you're, um, you know, an intermediate level investor in India, it's a lot easier for you than it would be in the US, especially in terms of financial investment. And I, I suppose I didn't mention it in intro, but you're the founder of Indians Invest Globally, which yeah. is a community of over 1,200 retail investors and folk interested in that in the market. What kind of conversations do you have in that community? What sort of things are people interested in? Indians Invest Globally is a community of investors who invest abroad and in India. So they're generally more sophisticated investors. So the types of discussions that take place whether it is on India or abroad, uh, are generally, you know, uh, more nuanced, more advanced, you know, um, they're more in detail. You're not running like basic investor awareness. Just to give you an example, one of, one of the biggest international platforms to invest through uh, in India, uh, we have the founder of that platform as a member. So you'll just come casually like chat on the, uh, on the group chat. So, you know, you've got a really great audience and the, the level of questions is actually really, really high because, you know, you do need to have a certain net worth for international investing to make sense in terms of the fees. That would put you in a different segment compared to Delhi Investors Association, which I mentioned. Uh, both these groups are like free to join and, you know, anyone can join them. Um, but like Delhi Investor Association, for example, has more than 23,000 members right now. Uh, and that's because, you know, the barrier to entry is very low. Um, you could open up a brokerage account for maybe like $5, $8. There are platforms that allow you to do it absolutely for free. And like I said, you can do it in 30 minutes. So the barriers to entry in the Indian market are far less than they are in the US market. And that's why... The discussion levels in these two groups can vary. Of course, we get a lot of experts um, on DIA as well, and they have AMAs that sometimes last for hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, but yeah, I think both communities are in incredibly passionate and they're ecosystems in themselves. Can I ask a very nuts and bolts uh, kind of question that hopefully will be of use to our listeners wherever sure. you are globally? If you're an investor who wants to participate in India, what do you, what, what account do you need to open up? What's step one? As a foreigner, your options to invest in India are, are limited unless you are an NRI, um, which is a non-resident Indian or uh, overseas citizen of India, or you're basically of Indian descent and you can acquire, uh, you know, one of these two statuses. Um, Outside of that, you are limited to ETFs, um, which you can get on the U.S. market. Uh, there are ample number of uh, India-focused uh, ETFs. What I'm hoping is, as India rises in its um, uh, stature and uh, you know the, the market cap of India goes up, uh, you'll have more thematic ETFs uh, specific to India, uh, which right now aren't that many. I know there is a... Uh, there's a consumer ETF that you can get access to. There's a tech-based ETF that you can get access to. But generally, like most of them will mirror the uh, the most popular index in India, which is the Nifty 50, which is the top 50 companies 
listed on the National Stock Exchange. And it's the most popular index in India. That will give you some broad-based exposure to India. Um, you can also mm-hmm. invest in a small cap ETF in India, uh, which is also available in the US market. Is it common, Krishna, for Indian companies to be listed under an ADR overseas? Uh, so it was uh, once upon a time where Indians companies needed to go outside to get capital. Uh, but Indian markets are becoming increasingly strong. For an investor in above the net worth of 50 million, uh, you know, they are able to invest directly in India. So there's a lot of money coming into India, you know, through the route of uh, mutual funds, um, through the, the route of portfolio management services. So there is no need for a lot of companies to go abroad and list. Some of them still do, but it's fairly uncommon. The ones you see are actually very, very well-established Indian companies that listed during the 90s or the 2000s. Um, I mean, I would say right now the ratio would be like 100 to 1 in terms of number of companies that would list in India as opposed to the ones going abroad. Specific companies do list sometimes only in the US, like Freshworks, um, you know, um, which has its CRM suite and is a really popular company, uh, didn't choose to list in India. Um, India's largest um, travel aggregator, Make My Trip, again, is listed in the US, not listed in India. So you do have some cases like that of very prominent companies uh, going abroad and listing. And, you know, uh, even during the SPAC phase, um, there were a lot of potential opportunities that, that could have opened up had that phase gone on a bit longer. Uh, but yeah, as of right now, I don't see um, you getting uh, proper exposure to India via ADRs. Uh, I would say ETFs are much better. But that'll be interesting in the future if more thematic ETFs pop up. I'm I'm kind of lucky. I I think I can apply personally for person of Indian origin status. So I haven't got the $50 million, but maybe I could build an Indian portfolio if I pursued that route. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, if you don't have that sort of wealth level or those connections, then um, ETF sounds like they're the way to go. Yeah. Like we said, you know, there should be a lot more that, that would pop up. If I'm an asset manager, you know, sitting in the US today at BlackRock or iShares or Vanguard, or, you know, I would be looking at India going like, this is, an exciting space um, that's growing. Maybe we can turn the conversation towards the future a little bit. And, um, you know, your own sort of vision as the founder of Indians Invest Globally for the future of investing in India, but maybe also just what's happening in the country, emerging trends and potential growth areas. Is there anything in particular you draw our attention to? May I uh, just add one one little bit of uh, setup for you, Krishna, uh, on top of what Luke was saying? I discovered that the recent growth in India uh, has been quite stellar, but it hasn't quite gone the that sort of exponential curve yet, but that all of this was pretty much done uh, up to now without actual industrialization and that, but the raw materials for all the industrialization are already kind of in place with the roads and trains and the the internet boom and all of that and so it's almost it seems to me again i'm looking for for your color and feedback and nuance that it's almost astounding that all of this is seems like prep work for the next huge leap that that's actually remarkably insightful that you managed to put all of that together by reading stuff on the internet Uh, (laughs) but yeah you're absolutely right so um, most of the Asian economies uh, sort of follow a blueprint which is export a lot of goods, cheap manufacturing and then reinvest that capital back into infrastructure and that forms like this you know uh, self-propagating cycle uh, that creates that exponential curve now uh, different to a lot of these other uh, economies, India has built its back on services. We as a country import 84% of our, our oil need um, from around the world. But despite having such a big deficiency, um, our software exports today 
are larger than our entire oil import bill. Um, so that's really, really massive. And, you know, all the companies listed again in the U.S. are all these IT companies which have ADRs because they've grown into these outsourcing powerhouses. I wouldn't say that industrialization didn't happen, but it was sort of like an incomplete hatchet job uh, that was done uh, over the years. It was very disproportionate because it depended on the willingness and capability of the individual entrepreneur, which is why you would have like, you know, some examples of businesses that did really, really well because they dealt with really adverse conditions um, and were then able to grow. And when India's liberalization movement happened in 91, they were sort of ready to, to skyrocket. Uh, and a lot of these businesses uh, have had the industrial background, but it's not been broad-based. And the government recognizes that. And in fact, uh, you know, even Morgan Stanley in their report has written um, that uh, they expect manufacturing to 3x by 2031. That's, you, you know, that, that's crazy uh, when, when you look at these numbers. But when you look at the production-linked incentive scheme, it makes a lot of sense because if you have an additional uh, $520 billion worth of output coming from selected industries, and when we talk about sectors, the top four segments in the production-linked incentive scheme are also four of the most promising sectors in India, which would be pharmaceuticals, uh, specialty chemicals, electronics, um, and I would add a fourth component around renewables. Because as India's energy transition happens, as much of energy needs of India are increasing, and a lot of that incremental capacity is going to come from renewables. So we don't need to transition because uh, it's all fresh capex, you know, that's coming out. I know Christoph is a real kind of renewables and a battery head. Is um is that predominantly solar or t tidal or other sorts of renewable energy? It's primarily solar because India gets great sunlight for mm. most of the country. Uh, we've also set up a power exchange uh, in India. Uh, they're trying to get more and more of the power that's collected through solar uh, connected to this grid system so that, you know... You, someone in a state with less sunlight can buy electricity in real time from a state with more sunlight uh, and we can increase as far as possible uh, you know the extent of renewables um, in the overall energy basket uh, the government is really 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 like pushing solar as a segment the two biggest conglomerates in india Reliance and Adani have made major investments in the clean energy space. And uh, that seems to be a segment that's going to grow massively. Uh, you, you have another sort of mini trend, uh, green transition. I don't look at it just in terms of power. We've also got, you know, other stuff like uh, uh, taking care of the environment, recycling, uh, you know, place like that. Uh, Energy efficiency is becoming a big theme in India. So all of the electronics that are getting made, whether it's fans, air conditioners, stuff like that, they're getting rated on a scale. So you buy any product uh, from a store, it, it has a central energy rating on it as to how energy efficient uh, that device is compared to its peers. So there's a lot of emphasis on uh, both efficiency and being as green as possible. Uh, we take the Paris Accord really, really seriously in India. I think India is one of the only few countries that's on track to meet their Paris Agreement goals. So yeah, renewables is a major, major, major theme in India. I was going to say, in in the little battery company that, that could or might that I've been obsessed with for the last few months on its global energy uh, opportunity presentation it listed three flags on the on the international scene and india was one of the flags so fyi <laughs> everybody's looking i think uh toward india as as an obvious place for massive massive investment in in terms of manufacturing infrastructure and renewables yes yeah, it's a fascinating area i'm actually looking at a renewables company myself for my own 1st of June 7 investing recommendation. 
Um, I haven't dug into their India exposure yet, so I'll have to do that. Uh, yeah. Also, like one more thing to remember, because India's oil exposure is so externally dependent, um, you know, uh, it becomes a matter of energy security to have as much uh, of a chunk of renewables in their, uh, uh, you know, energy basket as is possible, uh, so as to reduce the external dependency. Also, uh, in terms of a renewable play, India is big on ethanol. Uh, as a blend into their fuel. This is something that's actually big in Brazil, uh, where they do a lot of ethanol blending in order to reduce their oil exposure. Uh, and all petrol in India should be ethanol blended to 20% ethanol. It is a, an interesting fuel source. And I think India's, uh, India's exploring it a lot. Uh, they're, they're super ambitious. Uh, there's something called E100, which is a purely ethanol-based fuel. So they're even exploring the idea of maybe having that and how that would work uh, because India is such a big agricultural country and uh, about 40% of Indians are still farmers. So if you can produce something out of grain, you've created a great source of income for people and you've created a great import substitute. So that's another very interesting that, area. Is this kind of the area we would term as being like biofuels in the UK? Biofuels is a segment because when they talk about it, that's usually right. the moniker they use. So Krishna, I know you're not at liberty to talk about specific stocks, mm. but how can you can you help us get as granular as possible for for somebody that's listening to this and says, okay, I'm buying what they're selling and India is the next... <laughs> Uh, emerging global power and we, we i'm on board uh, uh outside you know general etfs what where where are you looking where are your eagle eyes focused on finding individual opportunities a large part of my portfolio is geared towards this jump in per capita income as disposable income increases where would you spend your money you know that's sort of a, a major major theme you know, running in my portfolio. So you could see something like, you know, uh, movie theaters, for example, getting a larger share, although that is a segment that's being disrupted. But there's still so much demand that's going to come, um, you know, to be able to uh, go out and have a great time at a, at a cinema or, um, you know, to be able to buy something that previously was a little bit out of budget. Uh, India being such a strong consumer staples place, anything in the discretionary basket for me uh, is something that will go through disproportionate growth relative to everything else. I think even Motilal Oswal did a study of all the companies that were 100 baggers, 20-year uh, period, and there was one discretionary player in it. So that tells you how much that basket is ready to fire. Uh, it's been export services, it's been pharmaceuticals and uh, chemicals players, and it's been infrastructure players, which have done well up until now. As your income increases, that middle class gets the ability to spend more. Uh, you know, as as a listener, what would you spend on? You know, if uh, up until now you could only spend on your basics, and now you can spend, you know, double the amount of money that you had before, but half of it is disposable. Where would you spend? So I have, I have the, I think the best uh, is sort of, I, I, it's not sci-fi, but it definitely is future-oriented question for you. We know that Apple has positioned itself as a luxury brand, and they're not willing to go down market, and that's part of the the brilliance of the strategy yeah. because it's a status symbol and it's you know all of that. And we know uh, Apple is now full in and thinking of India as its next big luxury market right so obviously uh, there's a lot of um people that won't have access to to apple products but nonetheless there's obviously enough that apple's going forward in your best prediction when does tesla show up in india oh see I, i'm far more bullish on on apple's growth in india than i would say tesla's growth in india because by the time tesla can arrive in india uh, you may have an already really, really strong EV ecosystem that's built uh, with cars that cost half or one third of what 
Tesla's cars cost in India. India is uh, an automobile powerhouse uh, in terms of supplying cars, even in the region to uh, countries around. Uh, and it's got a really strong uh, automobile industry. A lot of uh, international Japanese players manufacture in India to export abroad. Uh, I'm not really, really big on cars, so I can't give you the picture as well as somebody you know, who's, who's really into cars would be able to give you. Uh, but I can tell you about, uh, you know, things I've noticed on ground with the EV ecosystem and it's booming, you know, like players are getting ready. And India is a, uh, we have three different types of vehicles, you know. Uh, I think this always like catches people abroad off, off guard. We've got two wheelers, three wheelers and four wheelers. Uh, so people are used to the two wheelers and the four wheelers, but not so used to the three wheelers. Um, so yeah, we've got you know the equivalent of what are tuk-tuks in in Thailand. We've got rickshaws uh, in India, and a lot of people commute using them. So um, we've got a huge number of uh, players already in the two-wheeler EV space. The Tatas, which own the Jaguar and Land Rover brands um, around the world, they uh, are building or sort of leading the EV race in India. I think they have 60-70% market share right now in India. Um, also, the thing is that uh, if Tesla were to launch in India, uh, it would be a challenging gamble even for them because I don't know if they would be able to um, you know, set up in India and have enough of a domestic market uh, for consumption. They already have a factory in, in China uh, and they are already exporting from there. But India will put 100% duty on anything coming from outside uh, into the EV uh, or automobile manufacturing ecosystem. So landing in India at double the price means it's not going to sell. Of course, you'll, you'll have fan, uh, fans of Tesla and Elon Musk who will buy it at any cost. But that'll be a minuscule segment in India. So he needs to be able to uh, like find a way to set up in India and export from India and build an ecosystem and possibly even launch an India-specific Tesla car uh, to make it work, which is a lot to expect from Tesla to do. And even if he does come here, it's not like, you know, all the other players in India are just going to be like, okay, you know what, come take up the market. They're going to fight tooth and nail. Tata is already working hard on setting up the charging infrastructure in India. Uh, Maruti Suzuki, which is an Indian-Japanese joint venture is also going to work really hard on like getting in their own EVs. So uh, we have smaller manufacturers who are all trying to come in uh, at the sub $10,000 mark uh, as far as cars go. And that's going to be a really competitive space. Um, but I don't think, I don't see where Tesla fits in, you know, there. It'll have to compete with the luxury guys. Your Mercedes, Audi, BMW, all of that. So, Krishna, in my own memory of India, uh, last time I visited was 2012. I came out for a month. You know, the absolute chaos on the roads. <laughs> you know, it's almost hilarious. Uh, cars, on, cars and motorcycles on every side of the road. I rode a bike for about <laughs> half an hour, and I'm like, this is just too much for me. This is too crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, honking horns, but the, you know, the smell of uh fumes and kind of gas tanks so when i come out next month or in a few days time after the episode drops is it going to be this ev paradise of smoothly running machinery uh no 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 not at all i think (laughs) i think that would be a lot to expect also like india develops different areas very differently right like um you know for example if you uh, if you guys pull up a, a photo or video of the CBD in Mumbai, which is called Badra Kurla Complex. Uh, and you look at it, and I mean, outside of the tuk-tuk, you would not be able to tell, like, where in the world this is, you know? Uh, so it's it's that developed. And I think Hyderabad, in fact, will be a great uh, uh, proxy for uh, the tier one cities in India when you, when you go there. Uh, so you'll see a lot of improvement in the infrastructure, for sure. 2012 was like, you know, before this government came in, before the ease of business, it was a different world. Corporate taxes were cut in 2019, which was a game changer in India. We went from an effective tax rate of 
35% to 25% overnight, uh, which was huge. New manufacturing units could come in at an effective rate of 17%, uh, which was unheard of in India. So a lot has happened even over the like just the last four or five years. Uh, in fact, I would say come to India every five years and have your mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really looking forward to that visit. Yeah. So uh, you talked about uh, EVs a little bit and the growth of manufacturing. Yeah. Just pick back up on Christoph's great question, though. You know, what, what are the segments that we should be watching in particular? Do you think right now? See, I think I think one area that's going to boom a lot is like the electronic space. So we have a lot of contract manufacturing that's happening. Uh, uh, we have com- electronic components that are getting manufactured. So you have that space that's, um, you know, really booming. Pharmaceuticals and chemicals have always been something in India that have done really well. Uh, They should continue to do well. Uh, I am personally more bullish on the uh, discretionary side of like uh, pharmaceuticals. So you could have like nutraceuticals, cosmeceuticals, you know, stuff like that, which are more interesting, you know, um, stuff that you would apply for health and beauty benefits, uh, which would, you know, traditionally, like, uh, be really expensive. But uh, as you go from $2,000 to $5,000 per capita, um, I mean, being able to spend $10, 20 30 $40 per, per item, those items, I think, would skyrocket the most. So I'm looking in those places, you know, things that are um, um, lower in cost, uh, that could be higher in volume, things that... The developed world looks at like, um, I mean, like a part of that staples basket, but, um, you know, all of India yet doesn't consider it, you know, uh, part of their staples basket. Uh, one, one great thing I would tell, you know, everyone um, to do is that uh, U.S. viewers are very comfortable with, with Shark Tank. Uh, you know, try and watch the India version of Shark Tank. Uh, that's a great way to like understand what's happening in India. Uh, you know, it'll give you access to a different ecosystem uh, than the public listed space, which is a startup ecosystem. But, uh, and I'm not sure exactly uh, how the viewing um, rights and stuff like that work as of yet, but I'm sure like for the willing and the determined, they'll find a way to watch it somehow, <laughs> somehow or the other. <laughs> Shark Tank yeah. India. Uh, two seasons yeah, available. It's, it's it's mad popular. Like you have entire families <laughs> sitting down over the dinner table and learning what valuations and uh, growth merchandise value and, and uh, you know uh, uh, price to earning multiples are. So it's crazy. That's, that's fascinating, actually. If it's a uh, you know if it's like family entertainment, yeah. almost that's because uh, that's not how Dragons Den, which is the UK version of that show, kind of yeah. runs here. It's for kind of kind of investing geeks really. yeah yeah no in, in india it's everyone you know because it's it's become such a right. big thing and the older generation also wants to learn about it they don't want to be like you know unaware and uh, in generally in india like um, a lot of families are not nuclear they still live in in big setups so uh, you have a main television in the house and generally like it's become like prime time television in india uh, which is crazy, but it's it's starting the conversation around uh, business. And in India, uh, before this, like you need you were either a doctor, a lawyer, or uh, or an engineer, or a failure. You know, so like, <laughs> like you had four options uh, to make it. Which is also why you have so much engineering and medical talent in India, right? Because it's so important. But uh, this is opening up the business culture in India which I think, again, will have profound effects five, seven years out. So quick little, is it quick internet research led me to Shark Tank India on YouTube. Well, yeah, some of the episodes right. should definitely be on YouTube, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll download a couple for my journey out. <laughs> I think they're mix of Hindi and English, but with subtitles, they shouldn't be difficult mm-hmm. to understand. And uh, not sure I'm putting two and two together and getting five. When we talked about Tesla, you mentioned like a very high import duty for that brand to get that yeah. product into India. Is it, the, is it the same pretty much across every sector? So, for example, like cosmetics and pharmaceuticals? I wouldn't say like the duties for anything is as high as it is for automobiles. 
automobiles in specific has have always been a sector which have attracted the highest level of duty what a lot of international brands do which is what uh, the government wants is they come and just set up an indian plant and then just make everything here so you do land up getting everything that you get internationally at the same price or cheaper than you get it internationally so it's not really an issue except for like automobiles okay so you do have a mix of sort of international and domestic brands across most other segments yeah even if i had to look at what i'm wearing right now like i'm wearing crocs slippers uh, uh you know uh, adidas shorts um this is jockey i don't know it's uh, how popular that is internationally but like mostly you know you you'll have a good mix especially in garments and things like that you will have more international brands in fact uh, compared to like you know um, indian brands uh, but yeah uh, it's a good mix overall I, i wouldn't say that it's the duties are like prohibitive anywhere except maybe in like really really high luxury um and i think what's also important to keep in mind is that most segments are not such large purchases right um so like a car becomes a really really large purchase so it would hit the duties would hit you a lot more um and it really goes outside you know that like i said the top 2% of india will be at uh 25 30000 per uh, per capita income so you're you're still talking about like one family's annual income on a tesla right so it's not a yeah, yeah. it's not a very like uh well suited fit for india as it is right now it would require some some like real thought process from tesla's side if they want india as a market Christoph tried to turn this into the Tesla show, but it's, uh, it's, it's India, not Tesla. Sounds like that didn't land. Um, you, so you know, you've pointed at ETFs as probably being the the main avenue for an international investor to get exposure to India. Mm. Um, are there any good tools or websites you could point an, an investor at, like a good starting point with their own research? See, you can. What you can do is, um, like, an ETF DB will give you all the uh, ETFs that that have India uh, that are India focused. and then you can use like a website like screener.in if you want to look up any information about the individual companies um we've got the company's website itself which which are all in english um you know all exchange filings are all in english so super easy to like um you know go through the accounting is very simple it's not very complex so um you know if you if you're used to reading a balance sheet and a cash flow statement and profit and loss you you will be able to understand and most of the larger companies in india they put out really nice presentations so you'll be able to get all of your understanding from there if you want broad based india exposure you'll get it through um through nifty the small cap etf is a very interesting etf uh because it's sort of giving you exposure to emerging india um so you have that in fact why don't i just pull up the india etfs and we can just discuss uh, what's available so that you get a sense right on etf db there are about 17 etfs listed as india focused um most of these should be you know they're just india etfs which i'm assuming will track either the top 50 or the top 100 companies in india you've got like a financials etf which will give you access um uh, again that's a great way to like play the indian economy because uh financial generally will grow at about one and a half times uh what the gdp will grow at uh and nominal gdp in india should grow at about 11% so you're looking at a pretty substantial return just from financials um you've got one consumer etf which is the columbia india consumer etf uh so you've got that you've got uh internet and e-commerce and digital india which i find interesting the consumer uh, etf still has a lot of very large companies um uh, and it has a lot of consumer staples but you will get a lot of exposure again to like auto companies which will give you consumer discretionary in their own way so you know that's that's one way to look at uh the consumer basket uh e-commerce again and internet is like all of the newer age companies uh it's got uh, some which are slightly more traditional some which are more interesting 
it's a good mix overall like you've got reliance industries which i said is one of the largest companies in india you've got the railway ticketing platform which is an, a very interesting uh, platform because it's an asset like model it charges a fee for you to book a ticket on the platform and it's the only platform through which you can book railway tickets uh, so that's another really interesting business um make my trip which i said is listed in the us uh, not listed in india india's largest travel aggregator so uh the india internet and e-commerce etf is also quite interesting it's got two of the larger uh, brokerages the the most popular brokerage in india is privately held so it you can't invest in it unfortunately but yeah and you've got digital india let's see what's there that's just yeah that's a lot of traditional tech mixed up with some of the newer age companies and and the website you're referring to now is etfdb maybe we'll drop a link in the show notes could i could i double click into e-commerce uh, my recollection might be faulty um so there's a big e-commerce brand headquarters in singapore c limited mm. sea did did they get thrown out of india about a year ago uh, i i think so i think so uh, their website i think is shopee right yes yeah, that's right shopee yeah, correct yeah yeah, I, yeah. I think um, yeah it was a so, complex situation it, it didn't really do yeah. well the two largest players uh, in e-commerce in india actually both us owned um, so you've got uh, uh, amazon which um, is really really popular in india um in fact like uh, since you are in the uk you'll see that actually the delivery times for india are actually faster than those in uh, in the uk not as fast as the us of course <laughs> but like they're really really good and they re- and it's really really popular and the other alternative is flipkart which uh, i think is majority or fully owned by walmart so um, that's the two big players you've got in india and uh, then you have beauty and fashion as a s- separate vertical and then you've got a company called nike uh, that's in that space is that sorry nike n y k double a i mean i i never shop on that website but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's really 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 popular great so yeah e-commerce is really huge it should again double in the next 5 or 6 or 7 years but uh i mean you get exposure to it through amazon or uh walmart only i think walmart at some point was considering um doing a spin off uh, for flipkart which is the the indian e-commerce platform which if it ever happens and it lists in the us would be a really interesting way to play the e-commerce team in india i don't know what the numbers are obviously of the company because i don't track it uh, as a part of walmart it's too big for me to be interested in um but i think it would be interesting to check out my big picture top down approach invites listeners to take the time to invest in some deep understanding of the history of india and the culture especially because of its relationship to the english speaking world and uh i i was doing some um research on books uh, about india and i came across one that seems to be head and shoulders about above others i don't know if you're familiar with it krishna india after gandhi the history of the world's largest democracy by ramachandra guha i haven't not truly really familiar with it but if you if you want a big picture book like that um which i would say is a little bit more in tune and aligned with what's happening in in india um right now i will check out india after gandhi for sure but this book is written by someone who's an active investor in india uh, in fact his, his next book will be really interesting which is called long india uh, which is his investing thesis on why everyone should be long on in india um but hmm. uh, his name is harsh madhusudan um he's also on twitter at the rate harsh madhusudan one of the best resources on tracking india and his book is called a new idea of india uh and i would say it's it's an absolute treat to read um because both him and, and uh his co-author they're very passionate india believers they're really young um they often engage with government in different ways 
uh, and i think um, their viewpoint is shared by a lot of indians um yeah uh, their book because the amazon used to own a publisher in india and that sort of went down uh, so now their book has been picked up by penguin so it should still be available somewhere but in case it's not uh, you'll see it in a couple of months for sure coming back with penguin uh plus like long india and just in general like everything that we discussed if you want like uh, a lot of deep insight around stuff like that easily on your twitter feed i think harsh is a great uh, great person to follow as far as india is concerned there is another really really good investment book um you know like you have market wizards in the us which is really popular as a series uh i don't know if you if either of you have read it uh but there are there are like these little interviews of successful investors and it's an entire series i think there are about four or five books in it um but we have a version of that in india as well i don't know if you'll be able to get it but if you can it's exceptional it's called masterclass with super investors um it's really really good so fascinating and a long two part yeah. conversation krishna as we sort of bring it to wrap because i know uh, it's getting pretty late your time in mumbai um would you have any general advice for investors interested in india what should we be thinking about see um uh, you know as a again it depends on how much you want how much of a segment or how much of a portion of your portfolio india is going to become but if you see yourself as someone who's global macro or somebody who you know is a uh a global investor with maybe 50% of your allocation abroad then i would say it takes some time to understand the mindset of the indian person uh because it is a it is a slightly different mindset they uh they spend a little bit differently it's a conservative culture uh you know um there's not a lot of uh leverage in the economy spend some time understanding uh what indians alike uh, if you can and if you are able to visit india you know that will give you a very clear picture and if you do please visit a, a tier 1 tier 2 tier 3 city so that way you get an understanding of what three different versions of india can be like of course this is a lot um, and if you don't want to do any of that then just watch a lot of youtube videos on india Oh no, we're sending Luke out into the field. So we're we're going to get yeah, photos. Yeah. Yeah, good. And you and you're recapping a little bit some of the conversation from episode 1. Now if you've just come straight to this episode, just go rewind and pick up the first half of this conversation where Krishna tells us all about demographics in India and the retail investor mindset. Really fascinating start to the conversation. Well, that's that's been a really great two parter krishna really valued your insight i'm a little bit disappointed i'm not able to buy individual company <laughs> shares i didn't realize that was the case um but if but if the if the country launches a wider range of thematic etfs um then i'll definitely be all over etf db trying to see how i can build some international exposure to india in my own portfolio yeah i i don't see why that won't happen because you you can already see some of them you know popping up and uh it's just it's just you know for them there is no restriction right for uh for the bigger uh etf players there's no restriction they can come in and they can own a lot of the the stocks and build out as many thematic etfs i think uh this conversation is happening sort of at the right right at the beginning you know of this big boom and i and i suspect that over these next seven eight years uh everyone's sort of going to wake up to india at the same time you know and that's going to be meaningful because uh morgan stanley predicts that the uh, indian market will be 10 trillion dollars uh you know the stock market and um, gdp somewhere around 7 7 1/2 trillion so when when you're looking at those kind of numbers then of course uh everybody's going to pay attention right you don't have that many economies in the world in fact at that point india would be the third largest um economy and stock market to be able to invest in so i think uh all the us players should uh be picking up etfs by that point 
That's great. Great to hear. We're not too late to the party. We're right at the start. Of I this think show. this is this is the the best time. Like I said, uh, the the population, the working age population will peak around twenty thirty, and then it should be a oh, north of sixty five percent for the decade after that. So we have a good seventeen years of prime that's ahead of us. And the groundwork has been laid. So right, yeah, that's one thing about investors. You know, you see the tides shifting for the positive, and some some people think, "Oh, I'm too late." Uh, you have to think much longer term. And India becoming the world's most populous country is not yeah. a small thing. the The connection to the internet is is even bigger. The it's just getting started. So do not get get erase that from your mindset that you're in any way late. I think Krishna, you're absolutely right to focus on that. You're exactly if you're listening to this, you're showing up at exactly the right time, fashionably late, which means not late at all. I, I would I, I would in fact argue that if you're listening to this podcast, you're early. As a global investor, you're aware you've woken up. You know, uh, you have the insight, and you'll be perfectly placed for when the instruments drop. You know, you'd know all of this. You'd have listened to both our uh, our two part conversation, or maybe like more episodes by that point, and you would have enough information. Uh, you know, already you would have read these books that we recommended, and you would be you know in place uh, to take advantage of that. Fantastic opportunity for uh, all of us to learn a little bit more about the uh, the world outside of these crazy U.S. companies that we all seem to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Krishna, for taking the time and for all your insights and details. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. It was an absolute blast for me as well, Luke. It was great to catch up again, and I'm so glad uh, we were able to connect and do this. And I look forward to doing it again sometime. Fantastic. Well, just just to close out part two, if you could remind our listeners if they want to read more um, from you, Krishna, or maybe join Indians Invest Globally, where's the best place yeah, to find Yeah, so it's you? on my Twitter account um, and the link to join Indians Invest Globally should be on uh, my Twitter account as well. Maybe Indians Invest Globally may, you know, pivot into something else in the future. But I'm always open to connecting on Twitter. Just, you know, drop me a line and if, if it morphs into something else, it will still, you know, welcome everyone and be a great place for discussion on businesses in India and around the world. Krishna, remind us of your Twitter handle. At the rate Bahirwani Krish, so B-A-H-I-R-W-A-N-I-K-R-I-S-H. Fabulous. And uh, you can also find myself and Christoph over at the Twitters. I'm at 7 Luke Hallard. And I'm at 7 Flying Platypus. You have been listening to uh, the Seven Investing podcast on No Limit with Christoph and Luke. Uh, Seven Investing, where it's our goal to empower you to invest in your future. And with these last two episodes, hopefully invest a little more internationally in your future. Krishna, on behalf of us both, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.